The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Data Gurus. This is Seema Vasu, your host. I'm excited to welcome Veena Girdar Gopal, who is the co-founder and CEO of SalesBeat. Welcome, Veena. Thanks, Seema. It's lovely to be here. How long has your company existed? We started SalesBeat in uh, March 2019. Okay. But we pivoted the business since then. So we pivoted early 2020 when COVID hit, when I assume a lot of other businesses pivoted as well. I mean, you had to, to kind of survive, right? Through COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Can you give us a little description about what your company does? Sure. So we have a software that processes lots of different data points okay. um, that includes sales data from supermarkets, as well as external data points, like, for example, weather forecasts to predict how much a supermarket will sell of any particular product for a specific period in the future. Okay. And the purpose is to eliminate lost sales due to mm-hmm. understocking and overstocking. Understocking, I guess, is fairly obvious to anyone who's been to a supermarket and come across an empty shelf yeah. or not seen a brand they wanted. But overstocking is a fairly big issue in the industry that not many people, except for sustainability enthusiasts, talk about. This is basically just stock sitting on shelf or stock sitting in the warehouse. And then supermarkets need to write it off at a certain point because it's gone bad or it's damaged. And that's, it's a huge issue. And especially now with supply chain, the understocking is a big deal as well. Because, I mean, there's lots of things that you can't find on the shelves given supply chain issues. Yes, absolutely. And overstocking is an equally it's big issue same. right now. Yeah. Because what's happening is people have changed the way they live. Uh-huh. So supermarkets are buying the wrong stocks. Mm-hmm. And so you're seeing low levels of stocks of the stuff that you want, but what they thought you wanted, there's a lot of stuff sitting in the warehouse. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Interesting. And do you have a background in this? Like what inspired you to start not even the original sales beat vision, but the pivot to this segment of data and analytics? So interestingly, I've been in the FMCG industry itself for a very long time. So just to decrypt that, the fast-moving consumer goods industry, which is basically anything you find in supermarkets. Right. And I've been working in the space, so working for companies in the space since 2007. Okay. And prior to that, I used to consult for companies in the space, do assurance assignments, consulting, turnarounds, listing stuff, and that sort of thing. And... I know this area really well. Our first business idea was in this segment. In the space, yeah. Yeah, and that I've done sales in FMCG. Okay. And I knew when COVID happened and people started buying stuff up in March, March 2020, if you remember, people were just going crazy buying things. Yes. And I thought, well, this is going to cause a blip in historical sales numbers when people look at it next year. And it's not going to happen again. And I thought, but people 
supermarkets will place orders based on these numbers, mm-hmm. which would be wrong. And they'd end up sitting on too much stock. And there used to be an existing problem already, which is because of climate change, beverage companies, even personal care companies would have no idea how much to order to stock up for certain weather even. So let's say a heat wave hits. Typically, ice creams go out of stock. White wines go out of stock. Cold beverages go out of stock. It's just a fact of life. And I guess all the yummy stuff goes out of stock. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But it's a huge problem. And the industry used to lose up to 30% of their total revenues. Wow. So that's just lost sales. And the sad thing is no one actually tracks these lost sales. Right. So you track your sales against targets. And as long as salespeople meet them, there's no issue, but no one tracks lost sales. Right. The lost sales, meaning you've sold out of these categories, a consumer's coming in, they can't Test find the, the category, exactly. right? Yeah. 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 How do you actually calculate that? Like what's the methodology around that? So we look at availability on shelf. So how okay. many times does a particular consumer come in okay. to find a product and doesn't find it? Okay. That's sort of the metric is, that we use. And is that through interviews, through online interviews and talking to people? This is how we started off. Okay. And there were some existing studies that had been done in the space to look at lost revenues. Okay. There was a recent study that was done in 2020, 2021, okay. when they found that lost sales had increased to 40% mm. because of supply chain issues. So there are studies that keep coming up. But what we actually do on a live basis is we look at how much stock is in the warehouse. Mm-hmm. Are they ordering on a regular basis? Whenever... In theory, on a mathematical basis, when they have run out of stock, are they issuing orders? If they haven't placed orders or if they haven't made the sales, is there a reason behind that? Is is it because there is stock sitting in the warehouse somewhere and they just haven't entered it into the system and that sort of thing? So we flag them up as anomalies for them to look at. Okay. And so tell me, I mean, obviously you, when you work with a client, you have their sales data, you understand kind of the mix and skews that they're ordering and putting on the shelf. But there's also macro factors you guys consider as you think about planning. Can you give us an idea? What are some of those other factors that are considered in your model? So we, we basically, so in our pitch, we say we look at micro and macro factors. Okay. And a few examples of macro factors are things like demographics. Mm-hmm. A pretty simple one, but it's yeah. a really obvious and, and relevant one because if you have a store in a predominantly, let's say, a well-off or affluent area, sure, you will find that certain SKUs do particularly well mm-hmm. and certain other SKUs don't okay. and vice versa. And this is even more relevant for promotions. If you look at promotional activity, it doesn't matter if you put in a 50% off promotion in an affluent area because they would have picked up that product anyway. Anyway, just yeah. lost money. And if you put that in place in, let's say, a middle class or a lower middle class mm-hmm. area, it does really, really well. And the same thing goes for ethnicities and people of different backgrounds. Right. There are certain people who look for certain types of food and you have these ethnic aisles in supermarkets that tend to do really well in certain areas and don't tend to do that well in other areas. So we do, we look at these factors to advise um, supermarkets on what to stock, where to stock, how Mm -hmm. much to stock of each based on these factors as well. So that's just one factor that we look at. And some of the micro factors we look at are things like social media. Okay. 
what are people saying about That's different brands or different yep. supermarkets on there? Yep. Because sales does go up when someone says something really positive about a brand. Right. Especially if it's a customer. So yes, people talk about influencers and sales does increase with them. Mm-hmm. But when a regular person like you or me yeah. raves about a product and goes viral, that the uplift that you see in sales is actually a lot more than if an influencer does it. That makes perfect sense when you think about it. I mean, even when you bring up COVID, right? Like people would look for the best sanitizer or look for the best mask or whatever. And you share that publicly or on social media, it kind of influences your cohort. Exactly. It's the equivalent of asking your family members or the old way of asking your neighbor or someone you really know and trust about it. That's what your social media has been. That's right. That's right. So, and I understand you look at weather patterns as well to understand yeah, mm-hmm. what, and you talked about this a little bit. I mean, with global warming or climate change, yeah. how has that impacted retailers in terms of how they plan for it? Because it's been so erratic in some areas as it relates to weather. That's exactly the point. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's been a, a little crazy with the fact that when supermarkets plan to sell certain products. So for example, they look at seasonality and seasonality is summer being summer Mm -hmm. and winter being winter and the weather behaving basically. Exactly. So it's almost like a, let's keep our fingers crossed and hope it all works out and let's all place these orders. Right. Versus it doesn't happen that way. Now you have heat waves during winters and we had 16 degrees Celsius on Christmas day. Yes. In the UK, which is Mm -hmm. crazy. We don't get that weather. It's usually somewhere around two degrees Celsius. I'm not sure what that is in Fahrenheit, but it is warm. Right. It's almost like springtime weather. Yes. And very unusual and no one was expecting it. And retailers had stocked what you would typically buy for Christmas. And you were selling uh, ciders and beers and that sort of thing during then. And they started going out of stock. And that's just an example of Mm. how retailers plan for these things and how climate change can upset it. And what we do to fix that is we look at daily weather forecasts for the next few weeks and make our predictions based on that. Rather than saying it's seasonality, things are going to work out. Yeah, that's when it was a predictable world. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. (laughs) And it's not just beverages. So if you think about even things like hair products, Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but my hair is super frizzy. Yeah. And it goes wild during a humid and hot oh, yes. summer day. Yes. So we track things like that. So we look at temperature, we look at humidity levels in the day. And wow. then that impacts how certain hair care products go, even skincare and makeup, because you don't want to be wearing makeup that's ill suited to a hot and humid sure. weather. It's just asking for trouble. <laughs> and yeah. then even household items like antifungal things, anti-mold products. Right. Due to humidity. Exactly. 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 So yeah, those are some examples. Who would you say your primary focus is in terms of clients? Is it the brands and the manufacturers or is it directly working with retailers? So it's an interesting one. We Mm -hmm. started off with working with brands and manufacturers because that's where there is a data vacuum. So you have these brands and manufacturers who have sales teams And they typically work off sales forecasts that are made by finance people. I used to be a finance person. So (laughs) I know how these sales forecasts are done, which is literally last year's numbers plus what the board expects in an uplift or what your investors expect in an uplift. 
and it's not going to happen. Right. And also category um, growth, right? You get category growth yes. and understand yeah, share yeah. wallet there. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And what you then get is a sales forecast that is almost what the company wants to do rather yes. than what consumers want. That's and an interesting th- way to look at it, actually. And there's a big shift in the two of them. Yes. So we started working with brands and manufacturers and, and, and providing them with this data. And what we found was that some of the salespeople were really good at working with retailers and supermarkets, changing their minds, getting them to place the right orders. But a lot of them struggled to do that right. because they weren't able to sell the business case and they were just used to orders coming in mm-hmm. and them just sending out stock. So we heard a lot of, ah, but they've already sent the order. How do we change their mind? And I would just think, well, that's what you should be doing. That's your right. job. And so it wasn't really something that they could use in meetings with them. So we started looking at supermarkets and we found that they actually need this a lot more than the brands do. So what we now are doing is providing this to supermarkets okay. and basically making available two different views. So one view is for the supermarket and it's an automated system as well. So if the supermarket wants, the orders will be placed automatically with the supplier. Okay. That's interesting too. No yep. manual interference is needed. And the brand then what we do is we offer them a view mm. of similar the same data, but in a different format. So we tell them what orders to expect from mm-hmm. the supermarket at any point. And that gives them an idea of what to expect so they can plan their inventory properly. And so are you working with some of the major supermarket chains within the UK? We currently work with, so we've just launched the retail side of the product. So okay. we launched it a couple of months ago. Yeah. So we are putting in place an early adopter program right now for the major Great supermarkets to try it and basically pilot the solution. And we've pitched to a lot of big ones recently. So we had a session with uh, Leclerc, which is a big French retailer. Mm -hmm. Leclerc is the way I think to pronounce it. (laughs) And we also pitched to companies like Ocean. So fairly big ones. That's fantastic. Um, Is it mostly automated? Like is the, you can go into the software and the models automatically update or is there a lot of kind of consultation as you go through this process? So the consultation exists only at the beginning. So when they pilot the product, we sit down with them, understand what their priorities are. And there's a consultation element there. Got it. But from a daily use perspective, there isn't any. So we update all the external factors that go into it and keep the model. So basically it's our responsibility to make sure that we take the right factors into account um, at the right points to give the right predictions. And you're doing this at a store level, right? Because every geography might be different depending on where the location is and everything else. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a big differentiator as far as we are concerned, because there are other supply chain solutions that retailers use. So there's companies like Blue Yonder, which is also called JDA back in the day, I think. Okay. And then there's one called Anaplan. And these companies look as in similar predictions, except they don't take into account daily weather forecasts. They don't take into account social media and that sort of thing. They also do these forecasts at national account level. Okay. So they look at things from a, a total Walmart, a total Target perspective, and not really what is it like at the specific... Right let's say, Target store in 
New South York Jersey City. or something. Exactly. Yeah, Thank right. you. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. But I'm sure it all rolls up into a national, but if they want to do a deep yes. dive, they yeah. can mm-hmm. then roll in and mm-hmm. look at each yeah. specific yeah. geography yeah. and understand the nuances. Exactly. Uh, do you have one of your favorite case studies that you can share in terms of how SalesBeat has helped a brand or a retailer without you know, obviously sharing confidential information, but something that was like, oh, wow, that's our solution helped that client do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. So one that stood out was a wine company, a wine brand. And the predictions were so much better than what they used to see previously. And and basically their revenue targets and the forecasts that they'd set. And we were able to basically get an improvement of about 20% in sales. Now, that is quite high. Yes, it is. (laughs) It's not going to happen with every single brand out there, but it demonstrates what is possible. Okay. You got down to the, I don't know if wine has skews, but it does. Oh, it's a skew level. Yes, it does. So if you think about a white wine, a red wine, and then you have the small bottles, normal sized bottles, we call them the demi bottles. Yes. And then you have the 75 CL bottles. So it's, yes. So you You were able to understand that mix and then see what the lift would be with Mm -hmm. leveraging your platform. Exactly. Yeah. That's exciting. You must've felt great. Yes, especially because I did used to work in sales and wine. So, this oh, is so an you know, area that I, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So I used to sell wines international markets. Okay. And it was always one of those things where, in theory, I knew that white wines would sell a lot better in some of right. these markets, especially the sweeter style white wines when yep. it was really hot because the sugar content helps people cope with the heat a lot better. Right. And the data basically proved that out. And I was just thinking, this is really interesting yeah. stuff to look at and understand retrospectively. You could probably have used that when you were selling wine exactly. yourself. Right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How does online shopping shift any of this? Does it impact what you do? Like, do you consider that as something you have to think about? Because some people, I know even for me as a consumer, there's days where I definitely want to be in the grocery store looking for stuff because I have more time. There's other days where I'm just like, I'm just ordering stuff from, you know, Fresh Direct or Amazon or whatever. But how do you factor in that consumer behavior since COVID has changed so much of how we shop? Yeah. So we look at channels as well. So you're okay. absolutely right. On um, So especially in London, where I live, yeah. it pours a lot of the times. Yes. And during then, people don't really want to be going outside to shop. Right. And your e-commerce sales increase then. Even your back before COVID, your neighborhood store sales mm-hmm. increase versus the ones that are further away from you. Yep. And those are effects that you can see quite clearly. Okay. And now with e-commerce being a fairly big player in the segment. What we see is that when weather is not that nice and people don't want to go out to the store because it's pouring outside or it's freezing cold, your e-commerce sales increase. So you see more people booking delivery slots with supermarkets to get Mm -hmm. it delivered home, Mm -hmm. in which case it's also a bigger basket size. Because compared to the person who picks it up at store or goes to the supermarket and shops who might not be able to carry the bags home, mm-hmm. this person is getting it delivered. So they do bigger shops. Right. That makes perfect sense when you break it down that way. So Vina, what's the future look like for you and your company as it relates to your product roadmap and your goals? Yeah. So one, we are completely now focused on doing the retail launch of the product. So we built the platform and we are just working on initial users, pilot cases, developing case studies on it and doing an early adopter program. 
so we can get people to sign up. And I guess the roadmap is all about first launching this and then setting up what I mentioned about the collaborative use. So Mm -hmm. set up the version where they can give brands access to it as well. So one of the things retailers don't do is they don't share their point of sale data. Okay. Their suppliers. Right. It's just this big gray area. And a lot of the times companies think or the brands think it's because they don't want to share data, Mm. but it's less that and more the fact that the point of sale data needs to be processed and mm-hmm. convert it into something that people can see and use. Yes, yes. So once that happens, I don't think they have an issue with sharing it because they do sell the data to Nielsen's. Right. So it's fine. Yeah. I think it's just the fact that someone needs to process the data other than the retailer. Right. And then provide that in a view that people can see, digest, and use. Right. So our system can do that. Okay. So we are basically working on providing or on creating a view that the retailer can make available for the brands that they work with. Okay. So both sides can see what the retailer allows the brand to see and the retailer can then see whatever. So it's a plan to process the retailer data in your system. Or is it to get the process data from the retailer or from Nielsen or IRI, whatever, and put it into your system? The plan is for the to get the data in and okay. process it ourselves. Got it. So the date we started off with Nielsen's and IRI data. Right. And it's about a week late. That's the best time. Early read. We can, yeah. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Which sometimes you've just lost the opportunity mm. to make the sale. Right. And yes, a lot of people can tell me that it takes longer than that to make a sale, but Mm. there are companies that deliver products within 24 to 48 hours. And those guys have definitely missed the boat. Let's pivot a minute. How do you like being an entrepreneur? I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I was told by many people that it can be really uh, tough. It's a roller coaster. It can be really stressful. I heard a lot about the stressful part of it. Mm -hmm. And I actually find that the stress is a lot more manageable than working for someone else. Oh, that's interesting. Right. When you compare (laughs) it to the lens of working for somebody else versus that stress versus the entrepreneurial stress. Yes. That's a good point. I actually prefer this because I can manage my schedule. I can work when I need. Right. And I work particularly well in the morning. So I'm definitely one of those early morning people. Okay. And I do get my eight hours of sleep. So I'm not one of those crazy people who sleeps for like four to six hours. I do sleep like a good eight hours, but I wake up at an insane time in the morning, like five and catch up on my emails, go for a walk and then keep going basically. And I get a lot of stuff done that way. And at work, when you're going someplace else, You don't do that. You Mm -hmm. work your nine to five, Mm -hmm. which is suboptimal or nine to whatever time, which is suboptimal for me. Yeah. Because those four hours in the morning before that are really crucial for me. And then there's also the fact that someone else is deciding on priorities, what needs to get done, how it needs to get done. And there might be just better ways of doing things because of the very set ways they have or the views that they have. It just may not work. Got it. Yeah. No, you get to control. I do say a lot of, you know, yeah, entrepreneurship is great because eventually you want, you know, a lucrative payout if that's a goal. But I always find one of the huge benefits of an entrepreneurship is control of your time. And it doesn't mean you work any less. You just work (laughs) when you can work, right? Your optimal times of working. And that's 
probably more than a nine to five job, right? In terms of work oh, yes. time. Yeah, exactly. So some people ask me, so do you then get a lot of time off? I work during weekdays, weekends yeah. as well sometimes, and it's fine. I enjoy what I'm doing. So right. it's one of those situations right now where you're, I'm not. It's your passion. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And I work when I'm most efficient. So I get a lot done. Right. And I think that's at the crux of it something that's some really important to me. That's what I've realized in the last yes. few years. Yeah. Vina, thank you so much for joining me today. I am really excited about your product. It sounds like it's a game changer for many. And if people want to learn more about your company, where should they go? www.salesbeat.co. Okay. Or they could check out our, um, our blog site as well. So it's wordpress.salesbeat. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for uh, reaching out to make this happen. And I look forward to following your journey. Great. It's a pleasure to be here. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling, programming and hosting services or consultation. We are agile and quick to meet your needs. Visit ParadigmSample.com today. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.